tried, 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 and I've tried even more. I've cried, 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 and I can't recall what for. I pressed, I pushed, I yelled, and then they hoped of some success. But the inevitable fact is that it never will impress. I've no more fucks to give. My fucks have run up dry. I've tried to go fuck shopping, but there's no fucks left to buy. I've no more fucks to give. The more fucks I've tried to get, I'm over my fuck budget and I'm now in fucking debt. I strive, strive, strive to get everything done. I play by all the rules, but I very rarely won. I've smiled, I've charmed, I would have laughed the last to no avail. I've run round like a moron to unequivocally fail. I've no more fucks to give, my fuck fuse has just blown. I've been hunting for my fucks all day, but they've upped and fucked off home. I've no more fucks to give, my fuck rations are depleted. I've rallied my fuck army, but it's been fucking defeated. What is your fucking deal, man? We're supposed to be doing doing this an hour ago, and you can't even get on a stupid thing. You can't keep an app up. You can't download anything. And i got to wait for you, and you're telling me that I'm impatient. Yeah, because you're impatient. No. Look, look how angry you are. Did I'm not you impatient. I'm being right now? I know you're recording. I'm not recording. <laughs> you liar. I'm well aware of you, sir. You, you go three, two, one, and then you say, start going into your rant so we can fight. No. This is this is Bill Mayer shit, Seth. What are you doing? Who's Bill Mayer? Did I fuck up? Did I fuck up your plan? No, there's. We can, uh... we can re-record and do this again. I'll, dude, I'll make it real. Just, just uh, uh, pause and say like a bunch of cutthroat shit that you would know would really hurt my feelings, and like repeat it and act like an asshole for a minute, and then it'll get me like emotional. And no. then I can act. Chris, Chris, I'm okay. recording. That entire first minute is going to go into the podcast. The very first minute. So. Cool. What's up, man? You said you wanted to. You said this podcast was going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, Shaq, and J Lo, and everything like that. And what's up? <laughs> oh, not much, brother. It's good to see you, man. I just figured it'd be a good fucking podcast. Well, I mean, I, I got some uh, different material than the usual stuff. I can't That's see you, sure. by the way. Huh? I can't see you, by the way. We're what? just on the we're on the microphones. Oh, uh, what do you mean, camera? Are you retarded? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty retarded, brother. Oh man, hit me with your best material. What you got, man? I don't know, man. Uh, not too much. Uh, yeah, today. Uh, it was kind of a, another day. So yeah. So about being late. Yeah, you know that's 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 definitely a problem I got. Yeah, if I can, I was late for work this morning. Uh, my uh, uh, patient Monica, I call her a patient, but really, I mean, she's just a friend. I work for um, through CDS in Texas. Um, clean her house. Uh, take her to doctor's appointments, you know, all that stuff. You know, it's one of my jobs I have. But, uh, yeah, I was late and I had to take her to uh, Cincinnati this morning. But, uh, CDS yeah, yeah. Is, today's just been... CDS is Child Development Services? No, uh, it's Consumer Directed Services. Basically, uh, it's mm. an insurance program uh, that's partially funded by Medicare through the states. So uh, a lot of people, what they'll do is, like, with life insurance plans, you know, things like that, they'll, they'll purchase options that allow them to uh, have uh, a lot of money aside to provide uh, money available for like CNAs, nurses, uh, you know, things like that for or people have to do home health because uh, it's not equitable or uh, possible in some situations for 
people to be uh, outside their home. Like they can't leave. So yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that's, that's basically it. So, um, yeah, that's where I work. Cool. But, uh, yeah. And I took her to Brady this morning. Uh, you said San Saba. He works at the tire place. You said San Saba. San Saba? Well, Brady. We were driving through San Saba. Sorry. Ah. Alan works at a tire place now. He doesn't work at the Quickie Mart in Lomita? No, thank God, man. He quit doing no, that? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of my ranting here lately, and I know I'm, I'm a nonstop clock when it comes to that. Like, uh, it's because it's of people like Alan, too. So, yeah, Alan worked at the Quickie Mart for like uh, seven and a half years. And then, uh, you know, people would randomly come by and offer him jobs and shit. And they would be like, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to get you a job here. I'll get you a job here and get his hopes all up and shit like that. And then shit would fall through. And then, you know, after seven years of that, Alan really turned into an asshole. Like, and I don't blame him. Like, poor guy. But, uh, no, someone finally kept their word. So they offered him, a, a, I think it was 14-something an hour. Uh, and it was really hard work for the first three months. But uh, they weren't taking out taxes, so he's stacking up. And uh, he went from making, like, I don't know, $1,600 a month-ish, uh, probably maybe closer to 2000 Supporting a family through uh, four to around eight, eight, nine hundred a week, and now it's even more. So he's probably making over sixteen or seventeen, uh, maybe around fifteen as far as what what he's getting hourly. And then he gets uh, like thirty dollars per service call that he does. So if he has to go out and catch a big rig on the road, um, anything like that. And the summer's coming up, so those calls are about to start picking up uh, insanely seriously because uh, big rig tires they uh, overheat, get rubbery because they're always going twenty four seven in the summer. Well, that's a much uh, better a job winner. than blowing dudes in the back alley of a quickie mark like he used to do. Basically, yeah. yeah but, hey, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, you know. got to feed her kids, man. That's right. on them. That's our brother. Yeah, he's got but, two. Uh, he's got, yeah, so he gets $30 he for service call plus like 3%, you know, so in perpetuity, bro. So that, that's always a great thing yeah. when you're investing. Perpetuity. And, of course, anyway, he's yeah. always paying taxes, of course. Yeah, uh, but – Good for him, you know, because he's actually a, someone who actually needs it. If it wasn't for Allen's fat tax returns he was getting every year, like working at, like, the shittiest place he possibly could with the laziest females. Uh, well, some of the laziest females, not the laziest. That's sexist. partially did work. Uh, fuck sexism and fuck anyone who wants to promote that shit. It's true. It has nothing to do with women. It has everything to do with the fact that they were lazy fucking people. But why, uh, they, why do they got to anyway, be women? Why would you assume their gender or identity? They could be identifying as uh, men. Listen here, listen here, Colbert, and thank you for doing this, Mr. Colbert. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because it's, it's fucking retarded. You're either male or you're female. I understand there's tomboys and there's tom girls, you know? And some people that are female actually like to lick pussy rather than take a dick. And some other people, you know, that are guys would rather get fucked in the ass than eat some pussy or have sex okay? with a woman. Uh, Why are you so angry? I don't know anything about it. Why are you trying to be anti-gay huh? now? Like you've 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 shit on women, you've shit on gays, you've shit on everybody, and you're my brother. I don't know if I can I can associate with you any longer, because you're so anti-gay, anti, anti, anti-female. Uh, anti Next thing you know, you're going to be talking about transgenders aren't aren't cool at all. Uh, yeah, so I'm 100 percent against uh, anyone able to legally take their child. To a cosmetic surgeon, inject hormones into their body, and uh, transform them into a female uh, when they are a male and five fucking years old. 
Like, how fucking dare you? You're lucky that the you're lucky that I can't go into your house and fucking pistol whip you, like, and just beat you senseless. Like, not that I haven't deserved that in my own time too, but you know, fuck, man, that's sick. What that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and yeah, to anyone who has a problem with it, uh, fuck you. I know the truth hurts. It hurt me too. Shit. I'm a shitty person, I know. You, sir, are not accepting of everybody's truth, so. Well, no, there's only one truth, man. What 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 is that truth? And don't say Jesus. Or don't don't well, say don't say you know, don't say Ewan don't say Ewan McGregor. I don't know. Like uh, I like what you did there because like I can't imagine what it's like being like Jordan Peterson, you know, like being that, that like uh, intelligent and having to to deal with people, and you know that they're only uh. uh I guess what weapon is to try to bait you, interrupt you, you know, uh, ostracize you in, into a little club. I don't know. When they really had, know that they have nothing against you. It I is. Don't I don't know. So you said you, yeah, uh, I like that, man. It's, it's good to call their people. So did you start, uh, did you start playing poker when I started playing poker or were you playing poker before I started or what, what's up, what's up no. with that? I, I, I talked about the game that uh, I won on the cash game, and that reignited your addiction to want to go back and play. Ah, okay. So I kind of I kind of fucked you on that one. Okay. That was my fault. All right. But, yeah, no, Um, look, I, I looked into uh, online casinos, and uh, not that I kind of already didn't know before, but I, did, I just didn't believe it, you know, like because I was always a pretty good poker player, and I just always found myself in, like, the, the worst of the 97 to 3% mathematical situations, getting the shit end of those against house fucking players and like it's it's it just it bothers you after a while you know and yeah i mean i definitely i definitely had my my gambling addiction that's for sure yeah so publicly on the podcast i stole uh around 1500 dollars from my brother while he was in uh basic training in the navy 800 to serve his country and, and protect us 800 and he comes home to an empty bank account 800 stole. 800 800 oh it's 800 bucks yeah, that was that was hilarious because I got back. Uh, I flew from Chicago to uh, San Antonio, and I was sitting down and I hadn't checked my bank account. We sit down, we check in, and they're like, "Okay, you're here on a Friday, or yeah, because we flew out on a Friday because we were grad and goes from Chicago, so we flew out on a Friday." And I got into San Antonio, and they come and they do the check-in process because they knew we were coming. And then, so everybody's chilling, and then it's Saturday, and everybody goes to the ATM and pulls and starts pulling money out of their bank or whatever. And they're kind of upset because, you know, because they got the clothing allowances taken from them and everything. But everybody has a decent amount of money. And then me, you know, I'm, I'm bullshitting with everybody. Uh, you know, hey, we're get, get, getting ready to go out. Everybody's going to have fun. And I'm talking to John. I'm talking to Ellis. I'm talking to whoever, right? Um, going out, and then I pull, I put my bank account in, and I try to draw like I think like two hundred out of the thing, and it goes transaction denied, and I'm like, what? Oh, that's so <laughs> fucked up, man. So they I, they I, covered I, me. I robbed you to the point of being broke. That's they, so shitty. Oh man. no, yeah, you did. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a terrible person. You did a perfect job because you you took just enough to go there and do it. And I was like, <laughs> and I didn't know how it happened. Like I, I didn't know how I had no money because I was looking, and then I found it out. I was angry, but I wasn't mad at the same time. I kind of, like, I don't know. I've been I've been wronged worse in the world, guaranteed. But yeah, uh, yeah. but it was uh, it was uh, so that it was actually a good thing because the uh, the people that were there were like, hey, bro, we got you, and they covered me for the entire weekend, and I got them back after that case like this. That that is, but that that started off. Uh, yeah. Uh, boot camp was stupid. 
but uh, I'm not going to say it was stupid, but it was just kind of, it it could have been condensed down to two weeks and been done that way. But then, uh, even then, when you head over to, uh, when I headed over to San Antonio, that was fun to see and do do all that whole whole fun stuff with the Master Arms community and whatever, but it was just, it was cool for them to do that for me that first weekend, so. Yeah. Oh, thank thank your friends, yeah, but and that that was a oh I would yeah I'd say one of the one of the darker times of my life. But yeah, that that was a really terrible thing to do to you. How was yeah, it? Was, uh, how was it dark, Chris? Were you? How was it dark? <laughs> yeah, huh? tell me. Oh What's... no no, uh, you just cut out. Say say one more time. How was it dark? How was it dark? Well, I mean, okay, so uh, I knew what your password was because uh, I mean it was just the easiest password in the world. It was like ASDF, ASDF, or something like that. Uh, I used to go in there, uh, talk to your, uh, college chick friends when I would come down and visit and we'd go play poker, uh, at that little, uh, oh, that little clubhouse, you know, the, the poker trading center, you know, probably another house game, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, but cause yeah, you, yeah, cause you came up and visited us in college station. Right you came up and visited us in college like, station. So, it was when we were, it's when I was playing online poker before black Friday and all that other fun stuff. And then I know that yeah, I think I gave I you, I either gave you access to my account or something like that to play. On a whatever, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, I'm just being honest about it, though. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that was one of the uh, the things like I really enjoyed. Like I love poker, um, but yeah, like I said, um, you know, I found uh, uh, a lot of the spots where you know I was either uh, I don't know too quick to act or. But at that point, you know, although um, I was much better than the other players I was facing at the time, especially in games like Omaha. I was, I was a much more disciplined player, that's for sure. And uh, I really knew the spots to take. Like, um, there were several times uh, uh, when I was playing Omaha where I'd pot bet, having trip aces. It comes, the flop comes like ace, ten, uh, two, something like that. And there's two clubs out there. Um, I would oftentimes fold to re raise in those situations because if the board doesn't pair, you know, uh, you're kind of in a bad spot because any three, any four, any five comes straight hits the board, any king, queen, jack, straight hits the board, any club, that's what, nine times two times plus 13, so like 30 outs in a game where, you know, uh, see, what, 40 cards are dealt pre-flop, not well, nine times four, 36 cards are dealt uh, pre-flop, three burn cards to 39 plus uh, five to the flop, so only 23 showing out of uh, 52, so... You know those situations like I would fold because I could pick I could pick up uh, other people's tells like so when you pot someone calls and then someone re raises you on top of that and you have trip aces on the flop typically they're not betting anything other than uh, uh, you know full flooded straight draws or uh, flushes but this particular guy was more of a tight player so I figured him for having pocket ten so I'm thinking to myself I have to either make quads or uh, the board has to pair, and if a 10 comes, I'm, uh, or a jack comes, I'm boned anyway because of the uh, quads. So you have to fold in those situations, and it, it's tough. It's really, really hard to do, especially for, for gamblers, you know, because at that point I would say I was a poker player, and I turned into a gambler. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm kind of ranting here. Here, uh, re- 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 Redirect me. We're talking about stealing from you, and we started talking about poker. I was never much of a Omaha player when it came to because like you said it's more it's more in the sense of Omaha is truly gambling would play I made up a game called Tennessee where you get dealt 10 cards and play Omaha like so 
yeah. it is what it is. But I mean, yeah, eventually when you go to poker, I think everybody has those moments where they they take a at least this was my timeline going through. Like I took a measured approach to the game, and then you just go wild and crazy, and then you take all your then you try to come back to the logical interpretation but then you get beat to death again, and then you finally calm down at the mm-hmm. end. I've been playing this game for 10, 15 years, uh, 13 years to be exact, because I think I started in, uh, well, I mean, we saw the game kind of early when we were in, but they would play penny penny poker, whatever the case is, really never played Hold'em. Mm-hmm. Hold'em hit in 2003, so I started playing. So I've been playing this game for 15 years, and nothing yeah. really, it's, it's really hard to phase me now when it comes to comes to whatever, so. Yep. Well, see, I was thinking the same thing, like, uh, you know, with recently what we talked about, and we'll get into that more later in the podcast, but um, where I was recently playing, you know, I would see consistent uh, patterns, you know, and, uh, you know, I've never sat at tables where, like, uh, I would be playing for two hours, see, you know, around 30 hands, and no no call that I ever made, was there ever a pair on the, on the flop, you know, I'm like, man, this is just, this is just so unrealistic, but hey, you know what happens, you know, understand that's poker. A lot of my problems when it came to my play and, and becoming a, a master, which now I think that uh, with more understanding and reading players and uh, finding situations where uh, um, it makes sense to call with 7-4 because of pot equity and things like that, um, I, I'm, I'm becoming a master of the game. I really am. So, cause, so a lot of the things I used to do um, is in uh, rebuy tournaments. You know, I get really excited and, and uh, you know, because you can always rebuy and rebuy and rebuy. But then as the blinds start stacking up and, uh, you know, the prize pool uh, cutoff is dwindling where you can't do that anymore, you know, um, like uh, you got to start stacking up chips because tournaments all about chips. Your, your, your life survives on the blinds, and that gives you X amount of hands to play, and you need your hand to hold up X amount of times to even have a chance of dwindling yourself down to a, to a small prize pool, especially if it's a tournament where only, say, like three get paid and there's – you know, 25 people, in it. you know, your odds aren't really uh, in your favor. But, you know, because you like the game, you go play them. But uh, um, so I learned uh, in tournament style, like, you you got to find the spots in the game when the tournament is early um, uh, and go in for pot equity. You don't necessarily want to be waiting for ace-king and, uh, and the top 13 hands, although I understand playing tight and uh, hoping that you get action on uh, – um, I'm totally opposite. Know, uh, I'm totally, I'm totally you know, opposite. I am totally yeah, opposite I, I when know, it comes to playing. You take a very measured approach. And here's but why. For me, like, like, here's, let me, let me, let me explain. Let well, me explain my well, spill. I'm not, well, I'm not finished. I know I'm well, hogging explain the mic. Then, I know I'm hogging. But I'll, I'll give you a chance, Bubba. Well, let me, let me go through the Chris Morris poker program. Although yours really did help. Um, but it doesn't really matter in fixed games. But anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But um, yeah. Uh, my my approach to tournament style is to find uh, the spots where um, um, the the pot equity is uh, there, and when someone uh, is overconfident with ace king, you know, and you're coming in with a small set or uh, straight draw that hits or flush draw that hits, I feel like you get more out of them in those situations, as well as you lose a lot less uh, versus overbetting kings and getting in those positions where you might be overconfident because you finally just had w- one hand to play. You know, and you don't have the discipline to fold. But uh, I took both approaches. So I, I play tight. Uh, I don't like to enter hands. I, I take your approach to the game. Uh, the first, first hand. You know, if I if I'm dealt ace jack, I'm not I'm not calling. I'm folding. I don't care. It's first hand. You know, if it's not aces, kings, ace 
king, ace, queen, uh, I'm, I'm really not interested, especially if I'm in first position. But um, I like to take that approach, but I, I combo with my style of waiting for when a big pot builds. Because if it's early in the tournament, you know, you might get sniped. Uh, uh, your aces might get sniped later on with someone who just happens to have more chips and can risk uh, taking you out, but you can't take them out, and your aces get cracked and you're out when you've been playing a perfect game the whole time. So instead of uh, spending two hours and not making a prize pool doing that, I just found the spots where um, it didn't matter what I had in my hand because the amount of chips that were out there, if my hand randomly hits, which each hand has a, a random X chance to hit, and if certain people are calling, typically they're calling with things like ace-king, ace-queen, especially if they're disciplined players. You can identify loose cannons, things like that on the table, and you go in and your hand makes it, you know, you're going to stack up, which is exactly what I did in a tournament the other day. Um, a gentleman raised, and I know he has aces. And I think that some other people can kind of tell too. Um, but for me, for sure, I'm looking across. I can tell by the way he's posturing, betting, his um, the amount that he's betting. He, he's, he's looking for action. He wants people to call and see a flop. And he's hoping they don't make. So, of course, that's what I do. The flop comes eight, seven, uh, four. I have king, five of spades, uh, one spade on the uh, um, flop. And anyway, so... Um, first action, uh, um, he uh, checks. The guy bets out. He bets out 10K. Um, we get a call, a call, and it comes to me. I'm like, okay, so everyone called 5,000 pre-flop. I've got a bet of 10,000. I've got two callers of 10,000 in front of me. I need a six. Hope no one has 10-9. Hope no one has 9-5, something like that. You know, it's going to make a bigger straight. I have a backdoor uh, flush draw. No pair. Um, normally, any smart person in this situation would fold. I know it is a rebuy attorney, but I, even in a tournament where you're paying $500 to $1,000 and there's a big prize pool, it's not necessarily a bad idea to, to make a call on this spot. That's the time you make that kind of donkey-ass call. you know. And then, of course, uh, I make the call. The gentleman uh, in first position calls too as well. So we're looking at around seventy to 80000 uh, in chips, you know, and this is the very first hand. And then on uh, the turn uh, comes a spade. It's a, a, a blank for the uh, board to, uh, to make a straight. Um, I think it's a lower card. But boom, now I have 13 more outs possibly. You know, um, And uh, the gentleman in uh, first position checks, a uh, guy with aces shoves. We get a call. Uh, we get a fold. And then I'm in that position. And I'm not about to sit around and wait for another spot to go one-on-one -on -one and just double up my stack. I have a chance right now to triple, almost quadruple my stack and be uh, sitting at around almost 200,000 chips when the, the maximum person uh, below me at that point could possibly only have around 70,000 at max, you know, um, and most other people sitting around 50 to 60,000. I figured that was a great time for me to pick up tips and bully people because everyone's trying to get to that position where you can stack up tips to make it past the second and uh, first and second blind. So, uh, I picked my spot there, and it worked out for me. But I've also been in a position where it doesn't. But at least you can fold on the turn and hope for a better hand and move on in the tournament later. Because uh, tournament's all about chip equity. You know, cash game is a completely different story. But, uh, yeah, what's your, what's your theory, Mr. Harms, on, on tournament poker? Because you are the tournament poker master. Never have I been or met another player that's consistently won or, or cast in tournaments uh, um, ever. Like, like, your tournament game is fucking so solid. Like, uh... I remember the first time when I played uh, in any any tournament at all, um, you would finish ninth, 
out of a field of about 30 with rebuys, add-ons, and I don't think you rebought or add-on um, any of those times. Uh, you just took what you had. Um, you saw that the add-on wasn't worth the chips you were actually getting considering the blinds, and you were screwed anyway, which is something I didn't learn until later. But, uh, yeah, what, what's your take, Mr. Harms? No, man, I've made plenty of mistakes when it comes to tournament poker, but like I said, I've been doing it for 15 years, and master is a uh, horrific term to use when it comes to playing poker. I, if I was a master, I would be a millionaire when it comes to playing poker. So I got, I've got got a lot of areas to work and Not do whatever. 100% necessarily. If I was a master at the game, I would be, you know, I'd win wherever going through. Or, excuse me, I'd be much uh, much better than them. I've been semi-successful. Semi like I've done, I was a, I was a semi-professional whatever player for two years in college because that's how I paid for my bills for two years. So, yes, um, sir. But even then, may I interrupt for a second? Okay, look, I say that you, in most situations, although you made mistakes, you probably made the best pause you possibly could. But you were probably a player that, uh, on your percentage, you were kind of like me. Uh, it was falling their way more than yours more often. I don't know what that means. Basically, like in, in the tournaments where you didn't win. It was in situations where you made the right call, you were in the right position, but uh, hands just didn't fall your way. Or you were blinded for uh, 45 minutes, you see ace-king, you finally see some action. It's just that time where you have to shove, and you just randomly ran into kings from a guy who's been hitting hot all day. You know, those things happen as well. I think that would be more your uh, more your situation than anybody else's that I personally play with in poker. Well, that happened. You always seem to make the correct decisions, but... Uh, that happens. Don't seem to fall your way. That happens huh? all the time when you when you're playing poker. That I mean, the cards don't fall your way. The mm -hmm. cards fall your way, whichever. And if you're a good player and the cards fall your way, you're pretty much unbeatable. And if you're a good player, the cards don't fall your way. You're gonna have a hard time getting to where you need to be. Yeah, all of us. All of us <clears throat> conveying as an example was there, there are situations where it literally, even though everything's fair, legit, it, it just never falls their way, and they just don't make enough money and lose interest because they're just broke. You know. Yeah, that happens just, to a lot of they, people. They never it make really any does. Money off of it. It happens to a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, that, that's all I'm saying. That's all I meant to say. Yeah, but uh, anyways. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, let's no, no, talk, no. Talk, talk to me about your theory because I heard you just got third again. So you cast in three out of four tournaments winning twice. Three out of five winning twice. And interesting. And so you got first, first, third, and tenth. First, first. Interesting, Mr. Harms. First, first, third, 11th, and 14th or something something to that effect. But uh, it's at a, and, and most of the fields are 30, 40, uh, 30, 40, but the problem with these tournaments that I'm going to is that the big blind structure is so deep that there's only one way to play this tournament, yeah. and everybody else decides they want to splash and play the other way, and that's not the way to play. So the way to play in these types of tournaments, <laughs> they're really I love playing against players like you. Yeah. Oh no, play against players like me because uh, uh, you create an image. I'm a, so I, I try to create that knit image, and I still I still have knit tendencies when it comes to playing poker. But you still try to create that knit image, and then all of a sudden you come over the top, or all of a sudden you're you're trying to sneak or turn over turn over a five deuce hand or whatever the case is, where they don't see it coming, which is always a good play. But the blinds are so deep in this structure that there's no point to play any other way than bet have the equity when you're going and have people try to run against you, and if the cards fall for you, they do, and if they don't, they don't. Um, and then so when you create that image. And people people recognize the fact that oh this guy isn't this guy is only playing premium hands. That's what it appears that I'm doing. It only benefits you in the later rounds of the tournament. So people will eliminate themselves. I can sit there for 150, wait for the premium hands. You're gonna get a couple. Come over the top, 
work up to 200k and then when the blinds get to 3,000 6,000 whenever there's like nine players left everybody's afraid of you at the table because you always have premium premium holdings whether you do or not that's what they think about you so you're able to three bet you're able to three bet four bet people you're able to come over the top you're able to anytime there's an ace on the flop regardless of what I have so doesn't matter I can continue so my continuation rate uh, is very high and it, it usually gets through um, ace is the people so when people have that image of you an ace on the board always is a bet card for me regardless and if they call yeah you got problems you can think your way through that situation to go through I get paid off multiple times if I hit a set so if I'm raising with pocket eights and there's an eight on the board I continue and then people will try to follow and it pays off all the time or if I have pocket twos or if I have five four or if I have whatever right so I can bluff at a high rate no problem you yeah, got a bunch of absolutely. background noise yeah uh yeah sorry it's I have to be outside uh my uh one roommate sleeping my other roommate's hanging out in the garage that's what he does so I, I don't I want to mess with him because yeah he's a hard worker dude yeah that dude uh his name's Alan so uh, good man, you know, long story short, uh, met a girl, had kids, you know, rough life, grew up in West Texas, uh, but, uh, always took care of himself, hardworking guy, um, has a great job, gets divorced, of course, has to pay child support, you know, the whole Bill Burr story, um, and, uh, didn't really get to see his kids much and hardly, hardly makes any money, so, you know, how much, when, when I can and, how much child support does and, he have to pay? Well, he, he's getting basically here's here's how child support works, and it's really terrible. Okay, so at the time that he uh, uh, basically um, was assigned to pay child support, he was making around like sixty sixty thousand a year, good oil field job. But then, of course, you know how it is with the oil field. You know, the price dropped down to almost what seventeen dollars a barrel uh, around three to five years ago. You know, and that really hit the the West Texas market. Thanks a lot, and, Obama. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And whatever, whatever. But uh, yeah. So anyway, so uh, yeah, he uh, he lost his job, and then of course, uh, you can't just immediately go back to court and get that change. And um, it doesn't matter if you send him a letter, any type of doc documentation, saying, "Hey, look, I, I just got fired. Um, I'm working at a convenience store. As far as the state's concerned, you're still making sixty thousand dollars a year, and uh, it starts stacking up." And now another interesting thing is it also starts accruing interest. Because um, that's what goes to pay the judge's retirement and things like that. Um, and uh, you actually get charged interest on it like a credit card. And uh, although you can't be jailed for personal debt um, based on our laws in America, um, you can actually be jailed for child support because uh, they consider it a debt. And you can't report it as uh, a deduction of income on any type of application for food stamps, TANF, um, any type of housing assistance, uh, any type of loan, etc. It does not count as a uh, um, debt. Um, it's uh, considered a requirement by law. So you can't use that as a, an excuse to not uh, be able to pay for certain things or receive certain types of assistance. So it's really fucked up. I mean, the guy will work 40, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. Uh, he's training to be an electrician. Uh, he's an apprentice now. But on paper, he could be a journeyman or master. Um, but he's going through classes, learning shit. But uh, he only brings home maybe 200 a week tops. And then that's probably on a good week, maybe like 127, like uh, – you know, $200, and gosh, rent on a single-bedroom house anywhere outside of Texas is probably $1,000 or more. You know, so how is someone supposed to live on that? You know, that, that's ridiculous. And uh, there's laws that protect the people who enforce that. So basically to the courts and to the entire system, it's in uh, – it, it's to their advantage 
to uh, favor women in those situations because men are likely uh, going to work for an entire year. They don't have to take maternity leave, and you can push all that sexist stuff on stuff uh, on me and cry about what I'm saying, but I'm not saying that to dismiss you or to disrespect you. It's just reality of the way things are. You know, you need time off with the baby, and that's a good thing. So men are uh, typically going to be able to do um, a lot, a lot more jobs because they have the time availability that most most general women wouldn't have because they have children and can't afford childcare, especially if they're a single mother. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of fucked uh, the the way it works for men in that situation. Uh, not to say that I'm promoting uh, divorce or or any time of uh, any type of like, you know non-two-parent system because I think every child deserves a mother and a father because I'm a product of that, uh, you know, a dad who bailed and then, you know, uh, two parents who fought 24-7 and the father figure, so to speak, was just an alcoholic drunk who didn't accept us anyway. Oh, Naki. You know, although, a Naki. Na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> Love that guy. Yeah, even this day, I shook his hand the other day and gave him a hug, man. Are you like, serious? Hey, brother, sir. Yeah, you- yeah, he's, he's old now, man, like a, Alcohol is taking its effect, you can see. But, you know, I, I did nothing – like now that I'm older, now that I've gone through things like, like drug addictions and, uh, you know, a, a period of alcoholism or not, not really alcoholism. I just wanted to be fucked up so I would drink because I wasn't smoking weed at the time or anything like that. So I turned to alcohol. You know, so I, but I, so I understand addiction like, like the, the need to be fucked up. Like I need to be fucked up because I just can't handle the reality with my current mental state. You know, because I'm, I don't see something or I'm lying to myself in this point or that point. You know what I'm saying? Or I'm scared because of what might happen on Friday when I don't get my paycheck. You know, just shit like that. But, or, you're, or you're dealing with childhood. Yeah, ranting once or, you're, again, but. or you're dealing with childhood issues. You, you fucking met Matt uh, two days ago or whatever? Uh, yeah, I saw him two days ago at uh, HEB. He was, uh, yeah. Like I said, Chick Man, give me a hug. He said, you can tell your brother, said, hey. Uh, sometimes he looks happy when he sees me, but every time he sees me, I think it kind of hurts him. Like, he's like, man, I feel, I feel shitty about what I did. I can't even really look at you, man. Yeah. But then one time when I saw him, he was so happy to see me. Like, like, he's like, oh man, dude, dude, I see you forever, man. Calvin came over too. He's still, you know, just like a oh, happy, ha- happy old guy, you know. He's still rocking that mullet? Uh, yeah, I think he is actually. He's still got the goatee too. At least, still, at least still has a stash. You know, looks like an old uh, punch drunk Hulk Hogan that never made it. Poor guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he seems to be happy and doing okay. Okay. You know, what I mean, you know, at, at least the guy was on my ass enough uh, to help keep me lying because I was a shitty, shitty ass kid. But you know, I think parents, when you when you discipline and and uh, you try to teach your kid things, you can't for one lie to yourself or lie to your kids, and you got to do it from a position of trying to command respect by example and structure and uh, development of the child, not to hurt them, not because you're just having a bad, a bad day and you need somebody to take it out on. But, I mean, come on, who who, do, who doesn't, you know, fuck up or, or have their own problems too? But, yeah, yeah, man, it was kind of cool. He was uh, shopping with his uh, with his wife and, uh, uh, yeah, just looked like, like a normal, normal Saturday for Matt, but just he's, what, 60 now or something, you know? Okay. Yeah, that's the story on that. But yeah, yeah, he was an entertaining uh, stepfather, wasn't he? What, what was your experience? Okay, so do do a quick one. Go from childhood Matt to senior year. Seth Harms about to graduate Matt. 
what was the difference in that that approach, Mr. Harms? Could you enlighten our our listeners and viewers to the uh, reality of the situation of so from such a long time and then growing into a beastie man who was athletic and weighed 210 pounds in the prime shape, well, the prior to the prime shape of his life, but basically in the prime of his life. Go ahead, Mr. Harms. So from uh, from getting woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning because we didn't vacuum the floors, that kind of shit, to just walking in the upstairs hallway and getting, like, forearms shivered into the fucking wall for no reason. Yeah. And then no, no, dude, those the stopped. moment... I was such a scared kid. The moment that that shit stopped was when Alan and... Uh, so Grandma passed away like a year or two. Oh, ago. I remember yeah. this. Yeah. I've never seen such strength. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, was so. like, okay, okay, hold on. Not, not to interrupt. I'm sorry, viewers, but... Okay, so I swear to God, witnessing this as a kid, like this is like that kind of uh, monkey strength that you hear about where like a girl lifts up a car because it's all, uh, her baby's getting crushed by it. Like this, this was amazing. But go ahead and tell your story, Seth. No, 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 yeah. So from those two moments or moments like that to uh, switch into, um, for some reason, Alan and Matt got into a fight in the living room and Grandma had passed away an hour or two and all of her trinkets and knickknacks and everything were in the living room and they were just going at it um and they were just tearing stuff up so i just went into a blind rage and wasn't having any of that and grabbed i think alan was on top of matt and about to do the lord's work and uh to my dis to my blacked out red rage like this needs to stop to ultimately my dismay i pulled alan off of matt and then alan decided to be the bigger man and walk out of the situation and uh, he disappeared for the night. Absolutely. I want to say he was uh, 16 or he was 18. I was 14. And Josh was 16 or I might have been 16. And Alan was 19 or something like that. I don't know. I don't know the ages, but. I'll hop in here. Okay, so you were around 16. Uh, I was around 14, uh, I think going into eighth grade, something like that. Um, I spent the summer up with mom uh, uh, and Matt while they were working at the kennel for Aunt Donna. And then we come home, and uh, Alan hasn't been working. And reality was of the situation, we were just poor, and uh, Matt didn't really want to pay for Alan to stay there anymore. He was like, look, you're, you're an adult. You're a man. Get a job. You're sitting on the Internet talking to this chick all day. I'm, I'm over here. I, it's taken away from my beer money, my bear, <laughs> my natural lot. You know, you got to get the fuck out. So I'm going to come home. And since I've been picking on you your whole life, and it didn't register me that you've actually grown up and became an adult, and I've gotten older and drunk a lot and smoked a lot of cigarettes, my body's weaker that uh yeah yeah so he decides to uh he's he's gonna uh come home and beat alan's ass he basically walks in the doors like get the fuck out get shit get the fuck out <sighs> and uh you know asserting his dominance as the dominant male does he barks you know people like that are barker barkers but once uh matt was definitely fights, a barker you know, like, yeah because alan bit him that night yeah, yeah he was definitely a barker and so uh, Alan's like, okay, so I'm about to cure this fucking disease that you have. And uh, this has been building up for years and years and years and years. And I'm actually a nice person, but, but you know, when I'm sitting in a corner, you know, uh, someone's poking me with a stick for fucking 20 years, you know, eventually, yeah, you're going to come out with snarling teeth and fucking go crazy. So that's basically what Alan did. So Alan grabs Matt, you know, punches the shit out of him, uh, literally – takes him by the arms, uh, grabs him, like he's, he's grabbing him by the biceps and slams him into uh, this uh, uh, dresser. It was the brown one, the one that was really yep. nice, uh, kind of uh, varnished and stained, and uh, it has the keyholes in it. We never had the keys for it, but you'd always open it and pull out the drawers. We never used it, but it was really nice to look at. And, and I mean, we're talking just slams Matt's back into it. 
And uh, at that point, you know, like I was really young and impressionable and like I was always like, I need to be this so people like me. I need to be that so people like me. I need to do this so I won't get yelled at. I need to do that so I won't get yelled at. I was always real frantic. And, you know, some of that still carries today. But I was sitting there scared in the hallway staring at you. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, fucking Seth, Seth the heavyweight Michael Harms, fucking champion, like 135, 155, 165 at this time, comes out of fucking nowhere, grabs my 220, 30-pound uh, brother who is in a blackout rage, and I'm talking pulls him off with one arm and separates him, pushes Matt, and this dude falls, flies back, like like almost almost hits the, uh, uh, you know where the kitchen was, where the uh, open section to the uh, bar, and then uh, those two uh, support pillars yep. uh, that were basically uh, part of the studs. Yeah, Matt slams into that, and then Seth's like, look, this is all we fucking got. We ain't got shit, but this is all we got. You're not fucking it up. And then you just walk out like fucking champ, you know, like, hey, look, uh, this is where I decided to become a man. So anybody who has a fucking problem with it can meet me outside. Uh, I'm young, full of testosterone, and fucking ready. But you didn't say shit, and you walked out, man. And uh, you were kind of silent from that point after on, man, honestly. Like uh, uh, maybe maybe not so much uh, junior year, but but senior year, yeah, you definitely changed. But, uh, yeah, I remember that situation like like clear as day. That's one of the few, the few things I do remember from uh, childhood. I mean, although I remember a lot. I mean, just saying, like, like, that's one of the things I remember clear, clearly as day. That, that was a, a, definitely a scene to witness. Yeah, and then Alan, Alan took off and left, and then he didn't come back for the entire night or whatever the case is. And then Matt tried to— He went to, over to uh, Aunt Debbie's. Yeah, he, he took off and left, and then Matt tried to—he uh, was drinking his beer and tried to, like, embrace me and stuff like that. And I, I don't think I talked to him. Like, I, may have, I might have said, like, six words to him after that. Um, yeah. To that whole thing. So it was, uh, yeah. and the only thing that drove me into a rage is that they were just disrespecting grandma's, all of her stuff that was in the house, mm-hmm. the, like just all that other fun stuff. So, and, and Alan yeah. to it, Alan to his credit, didn't try to escalate anything. Matt was just, like you said, barking. So it didn't, it didn't do anything. And Alan was the, mm-hmm. Alan was being smart and just decided to walk away from it. So yeah. it was what but it, it was. was. a beautiful, it was a beautiful moment uh, for me to witness. You know, when I was younger, of course I was scared. Uh, part of me was kind of impressed and happy because, I mean, like, of course, you know, I always looked at y'all's big brothers, but, uh, I mean, like, Matt went out and he was literally barking into the till the awareness, like, come on, Alan. Yeah, I he did that shit. This yeah. Time. Yeah. I go hold back. Let's go, Alan. Let's go. I mean, like, what what a beautiful moment for him to, to hit reality. But, like, I mean, that's still like a child fighting it, you know, like, like, but he was literally like, holy shit. Like, I am... I am no longer, yeah, I, I am. I'm no longer the dominant male. Like uh, it's like a lion who just lost his position. Nah, I don't ever yeah, think that. Nah, I don't nah. ever think that was a situation because I left. Hold on, Justin, here, come on the podcast real quick, Justin. I, hey, I, I left like back in six a, months a after that. Or about to be a master electrician, but yeah, uh, say what you just said. I said you ain't never been a dominant male. He's <laughs> <laughs> talking about me. But yeah, he knows. Uh, he knows me well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a he's a master. Hold on, come here, Mister Mister Allen. This is my good friend Allen. Uh, I was telling you about he's getting fucked by the state of Texas because of his child support. They they've been taxing him interest. Uh, so viewers, listen, they're taxing my friend interest on sixty thousand dollars he he used to make at a job he had ten years ago uh, for child support. Uh, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so so what were you saying? Nothing. He's the master what? Bader. He's the masturbator. He's the masturbator. All right, yeah, he's the masturbator. You, you have it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my brother's podcast, y'all. Yeah, have a good one, man. But uh, but yeah, you know, uh, it, it was it was crazy to reflect on that. But uh, 
you know, like uh, I've, I've made my peace with that. You know, as much as uh, I dislike the way I grew up, you know, because it, it taught me to to bow to people. You have you have to listen to what people say, or else they're not going to like you, and they won't ever include you in their group. Because I was always excluded. And then when it came to Matt doing chores and things like that, I always learned that well, hey, if you if you don't do your chores and you don't do X X and X, then uh, you know um, you're going to get yelled and screamed at. Um, even though even if you did those things anyway, they would just find another reason to hate you or find another reason to try to control you, you know, because that's the kind of people they are. You know, they're really unhappy, extremely um, toxic, and mentally mentally handicapped people who are suffering from, you know, alcohol addictions, drug addictions, things like that, and it's really taking hold of their life. And they can't accept the truth of that, whether A, they're not aware of it, B, it never occurred to them, or C, they refuse to accept it as the truth because it makes them feel shitty internally, which it probably doesn't actually anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it taught me to just be frantic and, and do, do things for the, the wrong reasons, so – as I was doing things in life, whether it was school or whether it was, you know, buying clothes or um, participating in groups or even saying things out loud, I was always saying and doing things uh, to seem impressive to other people um, rather than actually do it for the right reason because of, I guess, the way the trauma dictated my thought process. Although I'm not going to point to all that stuff. Everyone says, well, you know, you can be a man, you can figure it out, and I get that. You know, trust me, I understand. Just like the people say, you know, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you just get out there and you just quit your job and start your business. That's not an option for some poor people. You know, there still has to be a breadwinner. You know, if you have a husband at home that can't work because maybe he got shot in the military and the government's like, fuck you, we need to pay politicians. You know, uh, fuck your retirement. You know what I'm saying? Which is another thing that's fucked up. I got to pay politicians 50 grand a year for the rest of their life every time we recycle them and we can't pay our fucking soldiers. The ones who are fighting the fucking uh, corporations' wars and fucking, uh, you know, wars for all these dumb reasons maybe I, i'm not in the know and i don't really understand you know a lot of things because it, it's got to be a tough job being the the leaders of the world trying to control all the people from just going fucking crazy and killing themselves and creating order you know it's a difficult job but you know things like that just uh interdimensional you know, child molesters and yeah, time traveling vampires Dude, you're such, dude, that's a good impression. Dude, I'm telling you, okay, so, so most of your impressions suck, but your Alex Jones is fucking on point. L listen, Joe, listen. Interdimensional child molesters going to get us. Tower 7 going down with everything. This is... Jesus, you're... Oh, this is crazy. Was that a uh, garage door closing? Yes, absolutely. God damn. Uh, so they just left, so now I can get back in the garage and uh, chill and talk to you. But, uh, yeah, so... That's crazy. Uh, I think I think what Alan, Alex Jones' entire career was based off of um, what he discovered at the Bohemia Grove, which was very interesting, and I really give him credit for it. You know, he was an amazing journalist. But then I think in his free time, you know, instead of actually losing money and being broke all the time to try to uncover the truth, you know, that's a rough life to live, and eventually you might get tired of that. So if you feel like you can't beat it anyway, you know, why not smoke a joint and then just make shit up and talk about shit? What did and he discover at what did he discover at whatever grove? Uh, Bohemia Grove, I think, was, let's say, oh, 2000, anywhere from 2000 to 2006-ish, or maybe 1990. I don't, I don't really know. But, yeah, he was the the big guy about Bohemia Grove. And, of course, you know, that's just reported as conspiracy. I, I've never been to Bohemia Grove, never uh, um, been at their meetings or, or been associated with a group like that. But uh, it was interesting, the, the image of the statue that, they, uh, that was out there that the uh, mock sacrifice was in front of. Which uh, in the Bible, um, you know, and, and this is across history as well, um, owls uh, were uh, worshipped, and uh, there's many uh, statues and, 
you know, architecture that's representative of them. And uh, typically uh, around, I guess, the biblical uh, time period of existence, uh, Molech would have been that god uh, that was worshipped. So um, interesting, you know, interesting scenario. But yeah, dude, your Alex Jones is, is great. I did see that podcast too with uh, with Tim and Alex Jones. Like Joe Rogan's like, hey, I might lose all my sponsors, but fucking, I'm Joe Rogan. I have the best podcast in the world. So he brings his, his old buddy back finally. I was I was kind of happy to see that. And Alex Jones was just high as fuck, just talking about all that shit you were just saying. Interdimensional rapist, and they're aliens, Joe. <laughs> they're aliens. <Yeah>. Obama, <laughs> Michelle Obama's a transgender male, and Barack Obama likes to get fucked in the ass. By her. <laughs> he was just high as shit. The, but uh, that, that's that's the reason why I got that theory about uh about uh Alex Jones just smoking weed one day and recording himself, and he says, "Hey, I can make some money off this." Maybe and he could. That's how he became Alex Jones. I, I don't know if my voice could do the whole like. Uh, maybe I'll do an Alex Jones podcast or a podcast imitating where I just make shit up for thirty-five minutes. But I don't know if my voice <laughs> could handle it. But uh, well, I mean, uh, recorded in segments. That's what the pause button's for, Bubba. Maybe who knows? Just uh, why don't you actually? Uh, well, you know, I, mo- most of these we just kind of wing. But I mean, if you're gonna do something like that, like like put some effort into it. You know, like do some research. You know, get some of his common sayings. Like like if you were doing one on. Uh, what was that, uh, Bill O'Reilly? Like, you'd have to fucking be able to say we're doing it live, you know? Because Bill did it live, bro. Fuck it! He's like, Fuck we're doing it live! live. <laughs> Dude, fucking, you can say what you want about Bill O'Reilly, but I'm telling you what, thumbs up for that one for the rest of my fucking life, man, because I used to play World of Warcraft, and, and people don't realize that doing it live, like, that, that's, where, that's where it came from. Like, uh, YouTube was discovered by gamers because gamers just wanted to to watch videos and shit while they were waiting for things and you know and then it became a, a real popular thing but yeah dude bill bill o'reilly you're my fucking hero for that one man like that, that that's the way you do news you know yeah folks at the behest of my brother we're going to do an outro here this is the part one of the conversation so if you would like to hear part two of the old conversation uh, please head on over to podcast number 36 i believe it is and if not take a power drill and just drill it into the side of your ear i could care less whichever one you decide to do all right on to podcast number do